0: Hi, everybody. My name is Jim Barton, and I'm here with...
1: Reverend Abigail Conley.
0: And this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Today we're going to close out the year in our discussion of sex in the Bible with um, an important topic, which is sex with angels as covered in Scripture.
1: Great. And so we thought this was especially fitting for a time of year when we tell all kinds of angel stories and angels visiting people like Mary and Elizabeth and those folks. And we kind of like the idea of angels. Maybe we'd throw a wrench in... That whole
0: warm, fuzzy view. I mean, one thing, and before we jump really into the topic of sex with angels, let's talk about the gender of angels. Do they have boy and girl angels, Abby?
1: They do not. The angels in Scripture are overwhelmingly male in um, presentation. When you think of angels, they are also, um, in Hebrew, malakim, simply messengers. The idea of angels comes a little bit later. And also While you may be sitting there thinking cherubim and seraphim are also angels, those are a totally different class of heavenly being than the messengers who presumably look something like humans, presumably come from God, and um, can speak and those sorts of things.
0: And are only male. Only male. Yeah. Um, All right. So. That's important to get out off the, get out um, right away because um, the next thing that we need to talk about is is there really an issue with angels having sex with humans?
1: The Bible seems to think so.
0: Right. And in Genesis 6, 1-3, it explicitly says that the problem was the sons of God saw the um, mortal women
1: mm-hmm.
0: and were attracted to them. And went into them and had children with them. Yes. And you you are better no, pronouncing no, it. What were the names no, of their no, offspring? The, yeah. the Nephilim. The Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Who were the heroes That's of old? It.
1: Heroes of old, presumably,
0: this was some race all of its own. Yeah, and um, and we're like superheroes. Yeah. We're like the ones who were strongest, and mm-hmm. this is this leads to um, the uh, flood. Right. If, you, if you look at the narrative this is one of the things that's going bad that causes God to have to wipe out the whole world Right. so it's a actually it's an important part of that story mm-hmm. we sort of brush over it I don't think in the Worship and Wonder story where they talk about the flood Pat has any part about the sons of God coming down and having sex with mortal women Right. I'd have to go back and check but I don't recall yeah. that
1: we don't talk about that we don't talk about the unicorns they like, don't have little uh, don't wooden yeah, yeah but
0: the unicorns aren't in the Bible right well These it depends guys on the are. translation Oh, sorry, I guess that's right <laughs> I guess that's right okay so, so that's one part. The other thing I wanted to talk about, too, is that in Genesis 2, creation story, God walks around with Adam and Eve. Right. So that's important because God has a physical form there and walks around with Adam and Eve. Um, with whom does Jacob wrestle? With um, God.
1: It's just God Israel. right that yeah. is when we begin to parse that word he comes his name becomes Israel which means one who wrestles with God he and named
0: the place here I saw the face of God right
1: and anytime you hear that L we're talking about God
0: now why does it say what in, in your scripture above it it'll say in italics Jacob wrestles with angels right because that made a lot of people really uncomfortable right it creeps us out
1: it creeps us out. We are not used to thinking of, you know, a God who would come down and wrestle. We're not used to thinking about that Image of God. We're not used. We get really uncomfortable with like Jacob wrestling with God and prevailing. Yeah, like that's that's one of the other parts of that. We also don't know what to do with this whole notion of divine counsel. So we know that like in those early stories, especially, there's not just one divine being. There's multiple. They might be these messengers. They might be something else. Um, But I think all of that just makes us go, well, maybe not.
0: So the people who put the italics at the top of our scripture have fixed it up for us a little bit, but unfortunately, right. both Jacob's name, Israel, and the name of the place still reveal that he was risen by God. Right. Um, there's another story about humans having sex with angels, which is Sodom and Gomorrah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and in that story...
1: So that actually, the angels have come to um, Abraham and Sarah and said, you're going to have a child. Um, they don't believe that's true. You know, Sarah laughed and thinks she's too old to have sex, much less a child. And then after they're done there, they go up to Sodom. And so, um, when they go up to Sodom, they're knocking on doors, and um, the guy who lets them in, Lot, says, "You know, it's protecting them from being raped by the gang." Yeah, because I think first
0: they were going to stay in the square, Mm -hmm. and he says this is not safe. Let's go in here. Right. But so then the the mob comes and they got and they want to and they want to rape them in. Mm-hmm. And so then he takes them away. Okay. All that is sex with angels. Mm-hmm. Is it Old Testament only? No. No. Right. Because in First Corinthians eleven ten, where there's a scripture about covering up your head. Why do you have to cover your head?
1: On account of the angels. On account of the
0: angels. Who right. presumably can look at your beautiful head and... And say, some fine-looking human woman down there. Yeah. And, and a, this cover-up.
1: And, and hair is really, really appealing. Right. For whatever strange reason. Kind of like
0: ankles in our own culture yeah. at one point. Or feet. Right. It's less weird than feet, maybe. I, I, I don't, don't know. I don't judge. I shouldn't judge. Yeah. All right, we're liberals. So I forgot for a minute. And then we've got um, Jude now. So, okay, so importantly, when Ezekiel the prophet talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, he says that the sin was that they were inhospitable. Right. Nothing to do with about sex. No. Jude, however, the author who you said, this is the one we have for the prayer, right?
1: Yeah. But, Jude, we have because there's an awesome benediction yeah. now into the one who's able to keep us from falling and present us faultless before the throne. It's, it's beautiful, and then be all glory, power, honor, forever and ever. It's great, it's wonderful, and the rest of Jude is, is
0: questionable. So but. part of the questionableness of Jude <laughs> is that Jude explains that Sodom and Gomorrah was about sexual immorality. Right. Okay? But what is the sexual immorality that Jude is talking about? Here's a hint. A few verses after that, it quotes the book of Enoch, which we don't have. But Enoch is all about angels and war between the angels, a lot of great Good. stuff like that. Um, uh, it quotes that book and then what was the problem in Sodom? It, it's not rape. Right. I mean, first off, if, if Jude wanted to talk about rape, there's lots of other... I mean, we could talk about Tamar or Dinah or the Levite's concubine or Bathsheba for that matter. It's about humans and angels having sex. And that's the, that's the immorality. So there's still concerned about it in Jude. Mm-hmm. Then we have Second Peter where Second Peter 4... Two four, um, the author says, you know, if God would punish the angels, God would surely punish you. Right. Now, you point out there is a potential reading for this that's not about the Nephilim. Right, because
1: by um, the time we're getting to Second Peter, it's late enough in Scripture that there's a pretty robust idea of heaven and hell, um, and so we get a very small clue in Luke that Jesus says, "I was there when they cast the angels out of heaven." So this idea that there was a rebellion and some of the angels were cast out and then they eventually become right. lords over hell that is beginning to be there the word lucifer doesn't appear until about the fourth century from a translation but um that is one possibility
0: either so, way it's
1: not particularly clear and it's not like there's robust biblical information for the yeah, whole because the, other,
0: the other option is that the angels were punished for having sex with human women right which we know happened in genesis 1 through 8 because right. 6 1 through 8 because that's where the flood was a part was a part of their punishment. Yeah. All right. So, I I do want to point out that we relied a lot on this topic for um, unprotected texts, which is a book by Jennifer Wright Nust, and um, in that she looks at the Book of Enoch and the Book of the Watchers, which is written by Enoch, that we both talked about before. We don't feel super comfortable talking about it. It's it's this sort of these like extra biblical uh, sources that I I don't know
1: that you know we would have to work to read.
0: Explicitly for this, and don't don't have good working knowledge of right. For but sure. Uh, I'm sure Jennifer Wright and us does and right. You know, get unprotected texts if you want to learn more. But there's a, it's actually a really good sort of survey of the whole thing. Okay. Well, now we have the real question on this Christmas season, mm-hmm. which is, did Mary have sex with God?
1: Right. So now that we made everybody uncomfortable, yeah. let's. Let's go down that road for a little bit. Um, so we have a very real problem that we talk about the virgin birth all the time. In the Hebrew, you know, Isaiah told us a young woman, a ma, will conceive and give birth. It happens all the time. We're not shocked by that. Young women conceive. But this thing's
0: birth. that's the turning point for things being good again.
1: Right, it's a turning point, and this child will do a whole bunch of amazing things. Um, so it's great. Because
0: like right now, millennials aren't having children as much. Right. Because the world sucks.
1: Right. And because
0: we can't afford them. So, so in Isaiah, just... similar. Right. And then
1: all of a sudden... saying
0: to the millennials of his day, at some point we'll turn a corner. Right. We'll turn a corner
1: and fertility is kind of wrapped up in divine favor there and all of those sorts of things. Then, you know, we translate out of Hebrew into Greek and all of a sudden, instead of a young woman, it's a virgin.
0: Yeah. is the Greek? Parthenos. Parthenos, okay. So,
1: like, Parthenon with the virgins, you know, kind of watching. Yes. Yeah, same Same implication there. So we go from, oh, yeah, this common biologically possible thing to,
0: whoa, she's never had sex. This is happening outside of biology. And the Hebrews did have a word for physical virgin, Or they had a mechanism for describing it, I think. Yeah. That's just not the word that right. Isaiah chose. Right. So... And... They would,
1: as we have noted in other things, they don't lack explicit details of sex. So if they want to think it's outside of biology, it would have been clear this is outside of biological expectations.
0: But so now, thanks to Matthew and Luke, we're saddled with this notion that Mary is sexually pure. Right. right. So definitely
1: had never had... and actually in... To complicate it, it's not just the word choice, it literally says in the Annunciation story in Luke, how can this happen since I have never had sex with a man? Right. Like, and if you're reading, and not quite it's so explicit translations, it's how, since I have known a man. Right. Since I have not known a man.
0: But known here means in the biblical way. Right.
1: Right. Literally. So, and modern translations who assume you don't know that will say never had sex with a man. Yes. So, I'm wrestling with what we read in church that particular right. Sunday. So yeah, so we're faced with this problem then of like, no sex, but pregnant, so how?
0: We also should point out that, first off, um, we've talked about the Hebrew story, mm-hmm. and how in Hebrew if God can walk around with Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. if God can wrestle and lose with, with uh, uh, Jacob, mm-hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong to say that God could have sex with a, with a human, it's, right. not, it's not outside the possibility of the stories. And then we, of course, know that Luke and Matthew are writing from a time when Judaism had become very Hellenized, Mm -hmm. and certainly the Greek stories, I mean, Zeus is having sex with ladies all the time. (laughs) So definitely would be a part of that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right, so what do we do with it then? What do we, what's, what is Jim and Abby's verdict on whether or not Mary had sex with God in the story?
1: Um... Well, I don't know that I particularly have a verdict other than I do like the claim within a virgin birth and conception, apart from kind of physical, that God can act outside of biology and call something into being. I think that matters. Um, I do think, as I have mentioned before, but I think it's worth mentioning again, that in that story, even if we believe God went and had sex with Mary... Mary got to say yes to that. And so you have a story of consent around both sex and childbirth. Um, And I think that matters to this conversation. Um, And otherwise
0: I'm not particularly invested in worrying too much about it. Yeah. I echo that 100%. I think you're right. Those are important good things. I mean, I I think that... um, I think that these are stories about how Jesus is important.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And so... The fact that we have mostly just sort of waved our hands at that—it's so like your mom and dad. Your mom and dad never had sex, obviously, <laughs> and so um, it's kind of like that. You sort of just kind of wave your hands at it, and I—that's—I'm—I'm uh, I'm kind of okay with it. But in this point, I think it's—it's it's worth talking about. Yeah. Now, what else do we get from these stories about angels and humans having sex? Um, one of the things that um, Miguel de la Torre points out is that now we have to kind of get back to being a little critical again. Is This idea of woman as temptress really comes out of these stories. And that's kind of an ugly part of scripture that we kind of have to acknowledge, right? Because the women were tempting the sons, the court, the heavenly court. Right. And
1: from that, we continue, especially not just in churches, but culturally, to police women's bodies a lot. You know, plenty of youth groups have rules about shorts and tank tops and things that are definitely geared to the women, not the young girls, not the boys in the youth group. And. You know, I was the radical youth minister who said, here's what we'll be doing, make sure you're comfortable doing that. Right. Rather than, here's exactly where all those things have to play
0: out. Yeah. Um, but, you know... I mean, I think this, this, these modesty ideas and how they are a way to oppress women is something that the church really has to own. And it comes out of this story, too.
1: It does. Um, and as a woman who is a pastor, you know, there are plenty of women my age and just a little bit older who had lots of conversation about what they should or shouldn't wear in the pulpit. Um, yeah, if you wear a robe, make sure you wear pants so they don't think you're naked under there. Don't preach while you're pregnant because they'll just think about how you got that way. Yeah. Like there's just a whole bunch of women as temptress, you know, don't dare have bare shoulders yeah. while you preach. Yeah. Um, and then you
0: move to Arizona and everybody's so hot, no one cares yeah. at all. So Well there you go. There's something good about yeah. it. Yeah. We our fine state Um the second thing uh, that I think is is a, a more helpful lesson, again, uh, thanks to Miguel Latorre, is the idea that much of these stories are about rampant male sexuality and the danger of rampant male sexuality. So, for example, in the case of the uh, conception of the nephilim, that's the male angels unchecked lust against women, human women. In the case of Sodom, it's unchecked male lust against the angels, and the fact that that is a dangerous thing that leads to calamity and disaster on the cosmic level is an important message that again is right in, you know, we talked last time about the horrible metaphors and stuff that we saw out of some of the prophets which sort of promote violence against women almost. Yeah. In this case we see somewhat of an anecdote of that where we see the dangers of um, unchecked male sexuality.
1: Yeah. And, um... That maybe opens up some really good things. You know, plenty of people are writing about the feminization of church right now, and it might be a really good thing to note that it is actually helpful to give men tools beyond sexuality to talk to engage in the world. Yeah. Um, and in case you need to rest to to see that, well, look, when it didn't happen, shit went down. Yeah,
0: this was bad. <laughs> when men only communicate in the world via sexuality. Um, you want to talk a little bit about the role of fertility and infertility and and how. Um, God's role in that plays into these stories?
1: Yeah, so in most of the stories that I think is really interesting, even when you get these Old Testament stories about God intervening and opening a womb or curing infertility, it always happens within the context of biology. So it's, you know, Mary is the exception that this is outside of an act of reproductive sex. Um, And so... You get this sanction of it, that this is an expectation. Um, It's not that there are all of these things happening outside of biology. It is the expectation that two people have sex and that leads to procreation. And God blesses this over and over again. And while that's definitely heteronormative, I think for a culture that has so much baggage around sex and so... Great and inability to talk about it in healthy ways, that really matters that this is part of the expectation for God's creation. Um, And Christians definitely did worse things with that. You know, we talked about you don't, you know, God can raise up children for Abraham out of stones, you don't need procreation in the same way. But we have all of these roots that say sex is good and blessed by God in a whole bunch of different ways. And I think.
0: Jumping off of that, too, is a sort of last point I wanted to make, which is that I think there's something interesting that comes from these stories about how powerful and special sex can be. Mm-hmm. And if we can be, if I can be a little bit, uh, a little bit sort of uh, uh, fruity on this, a little bit, and, and, and uh, new agey, I guess, if you think about um, the, what's really happening with sex when it's for the purpose of procreation, particularly, but our bodies don't know whether sex is for procreation or not, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a you know, the um, this is a point when we, as individual humans, right? If you are engaged in an act that can lead to appropriation, are connected in a very real way with humans as the species, mm-hmm. right? Because this is a you know we have an urge to eat to in order to preserve us as a organism. Mm-hmm. We have an urge to um, move away from painful stimuli to preserve us as an organism. We have an urge towards sexual reproduction to preserve us. As a species Not as an individual organism And and
1: when we as a culture Begin to tell some horrifying tales One of the horrifying tales we tell Is the end of fertility And not having children So like the handmaid's tale All of these things come out of This fear that this ends And you know right now We have a lot of racism And white nationalism Coming out of that same fear Around who is procreating But this is a very real Kind of human understanding Of who we are in the world
0: and it's not an exaggeration then to say that the act of sex is a connection with the divine, is a connection with the immortal, it is a mortal's ability to connect with the immortal. Mm-hmm. and I think that means it's special and I think it means it is something that's worthy of talking about for a year at Bloody Mary Bible Branch. and I think it is something that belongs in our church discussions. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think, it's, I, I think it, is, it can be very affirming and it can be um, very uplifting to think about sex in that context. Yeah. All right. Well, I think um, that's going to wrap it up, and that's going to wrap up this topic uh, this year on uh, the, the Bible and sex. And um, uh, tune in next year. We'll have another round of uh, Bloody Mary Bible Bunch. Until then, cheers.